Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. We're marking a significant anniversary in the Australian story that comes up this coming Friday, 10 years to the day since the Bali bombing. On that night, October 12, 2002, 202 people lost their lives, including 88 Australians. 240 people were injured. Jamaa Islamia, a radical, violent Muslim group, was behind it. Six years later, three men faced the firing squad for their part in it. One man who was there in Bali that night, living very close to Kuta, is Adrian. And I'm so grateful in this week that he joins us now with his memories of what's been described as the deadliest act of terrorism in Indonesia's history. Adrian, welcome to Open House. Thank you. Great to be here. Very, very kind of you to spare the time for us. So take us to the moment you first heard about the bombing. Yeah, I woke up on the morning of the 13th, the following morning, uh, to a lot of phone calls from people that were that had just heard about the bombing. And uh, one particular phone call uh, informed me that six young Australian friends of mine were actually in the nightclub on the night of the bombing, uh, but had survived. And uh, these people asked me to go and check on their well-being. You actually live and work in Bali. That's right. I've been there for 12 years and uh, do community development, helping uh, disadvantaged youth in Bali, uh, helping them achieve their uh, spiritual and physical needs. So how was it that you knew these guys? They were through friends. And so, yeah, I was quite disturbed to hear that there were people that I knew that were involved in the tragedy. So you raced to the scene of it. Yeah, we just felt like that's what we needed to do is to get in there and to try and find these young guys. And uh, we found them in their hotel. They were very shaken, as you could imagine, um, but all safe and well. And uh, it was amazing just to hear the stories of their heroics that night, trying to help other people get out of the burning nightclub. Yes, what did they tell you about that night? Uh, They told us about what happened, about the bomb blasts at the front of the Sari Club and how the only escape out of the Sari Club was over the back fence. Uh, So as the nightclub was uh, up in flames, uh, these six guys uh, helped up to 50 people get out of the nightclub alive. Uh, They were lifting people over the back fence and they were scrambling over the top of rooftops trying to get away from the blazing fire. To gain a sense of, I think, both the magnitude and the evil behind it, could you take us through what exactly happened? Because there were two main bomb blasts, weren't there? That's right. The initial bomb blast happened outside of Paddy's nightclub, which is uh, just over the road from the Sari Club. Uh, It was a smaller bomb that apparently happened inside uh, the club. A suicide bomber. Yeah, I think a suicide bomber took a a bomb inside and detonated it, and uh, several people were were killed in that event. Uh, But it also forced all the people from... Uh, nightclubs nearby to come out to see what was going on, uh, including a very full Sari Club nightclub. Uh, So that drew people out to the front, to the main road on Legian Street. And uh, then there was a bomb in a a van or a truck uh, that was detonated at that time as well. And that was the most uh, lethal of the two explosions. When you say a bomb, this was a van packed with explosives. That's right. Can you find words to describe to me what that looked like when you turned up first thing the next morning? It was horrific. Uh, There was people running everywhere. There was mass confusion. Uh, The streets were chaotic. Uh, Buildings were still on fire. People really didn't know what was going on. 
as emergency efforts were scrambled in place to try and get people out of there and get them to medical attention fast. Yes, the medical facilities there were completely overwhelmed, weren't they? They were, and meeting these guys, once we realised they were okay, we were actually called to Sangla Hospital, which is the main hospital in, in Bali, in the city of Denpasar, and uh, it was quite disturbing uh, turning up there. There was little organisation, there was people running everywhere, there was a shortage of medical staff, it was absolute chaos. And you ended up helping in the hospital. That's right. Uh, there was a great need for volunteers to help out, especially people that could speak uh, both Indonesian and English. Uh, doctors were calling on people to help translate, uh, help move patients into various wards uh, and just assist with fanning down the patients. There was no air conditioners. It was hot and humid. And uh, so there was a great need just to get alongside patients and help alleviate some of the pain that they were experiencing. And how long did you stay there for? I stayed there for three days. Uh, on the first day, um, once turning up to Sangla Hospital, I was assisting uh, the Australian medical team that had flown in. Um, there was, When I arrived, there was no organisation, um, but thankfully there was a doctor uh, from the Australian Army that was on holidays in Bali at the time. Wow. So he, he was the first one to coordinate efforts, and uh, he called on me to help uh, get all the Australians into one ward of the hospital where he could uh, organise the appropriate medical care before uh, the Australian Defence Force, the, the Air Force, flew in to assist with the efforts. And evacuate many people to, from my memory, both Darwin and Perth. That's right. Yeah. They first evacuated the Australians and then they tried to get any Indonesians who were seriously burnt um, and other people from other countries out of, out of, out of Indonesia. In the midst of those three dizzying days, no doubt, were you processing what you were seeing or were you just caught up in it all and think did that I was, happen later? Yeah, I think just the adrenaline um, and the shock and uh, didn't really hit me until after, several days later. Yeah. I do remember turning up to the hospital and the sight that was before me, seeing people with absolute devastating injuries and burns to their bodies, uh, I found it quite overwhelming initially. Yes. I almost felt like I, I didn't have what it took to really help out. Um, but then as I realized that these people are in great need um, and that I was able to, to just pick myself up and get in there and do what I could to help people. And uh, I spent the first day with a young surfer from Maroubra, a young Australian boy. Uh, his mother was uh, tragically killed in the, in the bombing. Um, and he experienced quite severe lacerations to his body. And so his father was madly trying to run around trying to find his wife. And so I was left there with, with his son taking care of him. So I spent the day uh, helping him and eventually accompanying him to the, air, the airport where they were evacuating the patients and putting them on the Hercules flights and sending them to Darwin and to Perth. How long after those three days did it start to sink in and did you start to process what you'd seen? I think it first really hit me a week later. There were uh, memorial services held in various churches in Bali and I remember going to one of those memorial services and that's where the emotion really hit me when I was able to actually stop and reflect on, on the events that had taken place and uh, yeah, it was tough. And I remember experiencing a flood of emotion, anger, uh, sorrow, 
frustration, but also seeing a strong and healthy side of humanity as well. The way people pitched in to help, uh, the fighting spirit of those who were injured, um, the emergency relief efforts from the, the Australian uh, Defence Force. Uh, I saw a great side of humanity as well as dealing with all the obvious devastation. Yeah. Uh, How much of what you were feeling was shock that people could do this to others? Yeah, it's hard to understand when you see such tragedy, such um, evil. Uh, definitely you deal with a lot of shock and a lot of questions asking why. Yes. Um, and there were a lot of people that were questioning why these things were happening. But in the midst of that, uh, there was an openness to God. And it was a great opportunity to be able to point people towards the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, despite the presence of such evil and such hatred yeah. in the world. Yeah. So if you come at it from a Christian point of view, what do you say in answer to that evil? What do you say in answer to the question, where was God on the night of the Bali bombing? Yeah, that's a good question, and it takes us back to, I think, as we look at Jesus, the crowning glory of Jesus was the cross and the suffering and the pain that he endured for us. So he's not a God who is distant from us in times of brokenness and times of tragedy, but he's a God who is actually involved and who's there in the midst of such tragic times, bringing life and bringing healing and bringing unity and peace and so it gave us opportunity to really point people to Jesus as the giver of life and the giver of hope. And in the midst of all this, this is no pat answer, is it? No. This has to be very real and raw and ultimately right. That's right. Because we're dealing with people that have lost their loved ones and have experienced uh, such sorrow and pain and such evil. And it's hard to really help people see a positive light. In yes. such tragedy. But they were, you say. They I were. See that. They had questions. They were wondering why this could happen. And in the midst of that, people were open. And I, I even know people that came to faith in Jesus as a result of, of the bombing experience. We're going to deal with this question in some detail next week from Bali. But it was a terrible thing for Bali as well. Not only on the night, not only in the weeks to come, but for a long time, wasn't it? That's right. It wasn't just the Australians and the, the people that were involved in the bombing. It, this affected uh, the whole of Bali, yes. and it was the Balinese people that really suffered. Uh, their economy suffered. Uh, the people were embarrassed. They were upset that this happened on their soil. And so there were widespread effects of the bombing. And how long did they go on for? I would say several years there was another bombing in 2005, and so I guess the, the effects of the bombing went on for many years uh, as people had to rebuild their lives, rebuild their, their businesses, and also deal with all the psychological effects of the bombing too. Yes. And this was only the first in a series of disasters in that very troubled region in the coming years where you were able to help. Yeah, that's right. Uh, several years after this Bali bombing, a devastating tsunami hit the region of Aceh in North Sumatra. Yes. And so we were able to go up there and assist with the relief efforts there, taking up a lot of medical supplies um, and really getting help out to those who are in need. And then following that was an unfortunate terrorist attack again happened in Bali in 2005. And we were once again able to assist with the relief efforts at that attack too. 
and, and since then there's been more earthquakes and more tsunamis and our organisation has been there giving aid to those in need and really trying to be agents of hope and love to the people that have experienced such tragedy. What a great thing. And I can only imagine that you sometimes pinch yourself with the events over this past decade in that region. I don't know how much you were trained to be involved in all this really significant work. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of training, but yeah. we have had many opportunities to get on-the-job training and really try and just be there and make a difference and do whatever we can to help those that are in need. I'd like to ask you a bit of what you do in your community development work there and why you do it. Yeah, we're trying to help youth that have spiritual and physical needs uh, really try and help them achieve the potential that God has given them in life. And so one of our projects is we run a community youth centre where we're offering uh, computer and English classes for youth. We do sports programs. Uh, we focus a lot on surfing and skateboarding and really try and point people to the giver of life through these events and these programs. And why do you do it? Like I said, I think Jesus is one who is involved in the broken things of this world and who loves people and wants to give people life and give them fullness and hope. And so following Jesus, that's the type of work that he takes his followers into. So I counted an absolute blessing and absolute privilege to follow Jesus into this kind of work. Will there be ways that you will mark the Bali anniversary this coming week? I will. I'd like to be involved in one of the memorial services. Yeah, just as a way to reflect and remember uh, and commemorate the... Uh, the loss of life, but also the great things that happened as a result of the unity, the solidarity, uh, and the hope that people had through Jesus as a result. Adrian, it'll be a very significant and important week for us all to reflect back on those events. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. Thank you very much. Your experience. And next week, as I mentioned on Open House, a couple of days after a special memorial service in Bali, we'll look at how the bombing affected the people there a long time after the event, as Adrian said, with a man with strong links to Christian mission there. That's next week on Open House. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.